Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. everyone. Welcome to Group Text. We have a really interesting topic today. Not that all of our topics aren't interesting, but this is very timely and and, and affects a lot of us. We're going to be talking about school and what's going on and getting all of our kids back to school, whether they are preschoolers, high schoolers, college, college applicants. We got a lot of ground to cover, so I'm going to jump right in. Joining us once again, college expert Sarah Harberson, who is known as America's College Counselor. Welcome back. Melissa. We have Mari Blake, who is the Vice President of Orange County Board of Education. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. And back by popular demand, friend of show, Stephen Grossman. Woo! Who has been on our highest rated podcast, and we're going to give it all to him, all the props. He is a celebrity manager, friend of the podcast, and a truly concerned parent who has an interesting story and interesting obstacles going into this next school year. So let's be honest, Sabrina, I think you agree with me. COVID has turned everything into a total shit show. Whether you have a college-age student, a preschooler, every single parent is concerned and frustrated and frightened and basically tearing their hair out because you're in the thick of this. Explain. I mean, look, I think these are unprecedented times, as cliche as that sounds. And I think as parents, we're kind of all doing what we believe to be best for our families. And we're kind of all struggling. How Um, many kids do you have? Tell us a little bit about your familial situation. So we have two under the age of 10. One of mine is 10. One of mine is eight two boys, they have a lot of energy. So we're basically trying to turn our house into an amusement park um, to, you know, give them as much uh, outlets as we possibly can. You know, both of me and my wife work full time. Um, You know, they go to private schools in OC. OC, for those who don't live in California, means Orange County. Correct. And, um, and one of mine happens, my older son happens to be on the spectrum. So he also gets, you know, all sort of services outside of school. So I'm also sympathetic to how increasingly difficult this is for any kind of parent um, where their kids rely on the school for whether it's mental health services or they get, you know, they have any kind of special needs because it's particularly challenging for those folks um, as well. Mary, you are all, the vice president of the Board of Education for Orange County. It's interesting because LA County and San Diego County are going to start classes completely online, totally virtual. But your board of education voted four to one to resume classes in person. Is there something you guys know that we do not know? Also, right now your board is suing the Department of Education. So can you walk us through a little bit of this? 
So sure, I, I'll walk you through why we made that decision. And coincidentally, it was the same day that um, LA and San Diego did decide to go completely remote. That was not on purpose. That was just happened that way. Um, and we, we decided that, and it wasn't that we're telling every child they should go to school. What we're saying is that we feel there's less risk for many children being in school than there is to not being in school. And we want that to be a choice for children. If a child doesn't wanna to come to school or their parents aren't comfortable with them coming to school, we're not telling them to come to school. We're saying we want that choice to be there for the parents that feel their children should be there and feel that it's a safer option. Many of our children rely on school for nutrition, for breakfast and lunch. Many just rely on school for their mentors, for the people that they look up to, that take care of them when their situation isn't so wonderful at home. Um, so that's what we did is we wanted to let the county know that based on an expert forum that we feel as a board that there's less risk to being in school than not to being and it's not enforceable and it's it's it was just something out there that parents might use as a tool or that local district trustees might use as a tool because it's the districts that make those decisions not the county. So. Are you saying that all these parents have an option? Are there going to be virtual options or you show up for school or nothing? Or is it a county by county basis? It should be. If the, if the When the governor doesn't chime in, it should be up to each individual district. It's very local control. So if, if Wayna Park says, wow, we've got no cases and everybody wants to be in school and our staff is comfortable, we're going to open. But if San Clemente says, hey, we're a hot spot right now, the teachers aren't comfortable, the parents aren't comfortable, we're going to go virtual. What we, we love to see was there were a lot of districts, I believe Tustin Unified, San Juan Capistrano, that had all three options. So families could do what they felt suited their family best. If that was completely virtual, that was an option. If it was a hybrid, let's go to school a few days, really socially distancing, having kids in the morning, kids in the afternoon, um, or completely on campus. And I think that's what parents like and appreciate is when they have those choices, because it's never one size fits all. And I, I feel strongly that parents are in the best place to make that decision. Not me, not you, not the governor, not anybody really. But Mary, I have a quick question about that though. How does the waiver fit in there? Well, the waiver is a piece that's K through six. My understanding at this point is it's not so simple. I, I've seen some information came out yesterday. And I haven't studied it you know, as much as I'd like to, but it's not like fill out a waiver and your school opens tomorrow. There's quite a bit of guidelines that you have to meet to qualify for that waiver. One of the questions that I have that I'm curious about, I mean, obviously I have a lot of questions for Mari, but one of them in particular is, why, I mean, I think we all in an ideal world would love for the kids to be back in school because I don't think any of us are enjoying uh, the homeschool experience, but why the recommendation for no social distancing and no face coverings? Because you guys went as far as to say that you felt they could actually be harmful. Yeah, and I, you know, some of our experts felt that way and perhaps, you know, Dr. Williams, some of his opinion was that way in the California Policy Center that did the first draft of the white paper. But I think that the evidence shows that very few children, you know, unlike the flu, which really harms our young people and is, is a big concern every year when the flu comes, COVID seems to spare the children. So based on what's going on in Orange County, no child has passed away from the disease. Very few children actually get the disease. There's not even evidence that a child passes the disease, whether it be to another child or an adult. 
I thought that we had just, or I had just seen studies saying basically under 10 doesn't pass it, but over 10 can. There are so many studies coming out on a daily basis, but there is a study, I believe, out of the UK that says that they've never seen the disease passed on any child 10 or under. So there is, there's so much information in that area. So, you know, and I think some of it too was the practicality. Try keeping a fat face mask on a five-year-old. I mean, yeah. I've watched adults who they fall off, they drop on the ground, they put it back on. You know, I think for me, my biggest concern and what I do every day is I wash my hands a ton. I use hand sanitizer. I keep one in my car. You know, the minute I come in the house, I wash my hands. As a child, I had acne and I was told, don't touch your face. So it's something that's always stayed with me. And I think if we can get people, and I know that's difficult with children too, is to tell them, don't touch your face, don't kiss your buddies for a while. So I think that you know, what the, what the paper said was with children, those concerns aren't as big. The bigger concern is probably in the teacher's lounge than it is in the classroom amongst the children. And perhaps that's the class we really need to protect is the teachers. Go ahead, Stephen. If we do need to protect the teachers, though, to your point, then why wouldn't we be doing everything in our power to actually do so? Which to me means implementing social distancing and wearing masks, because also like none of these kids live on an island or in a vacuum. They're all going home to their families many of whom might also be high risk. You know, many families now are multi-generational households where even grandparents live there. I guess I just don't understand, like, what is the downside? Because for the swim team, you wouldn't have like a peeing section in the swimming pool <laughs> doing the same thing. So why wouldn't we? Like, I would never want my kids' teachers to have to choose between risking their health and educating my kids. So I guess, you know, when we teach our kids that like your actions and choices have consequences for other people and to be considerate of others and to be a good citizen and to be a good neighbor. So it just seems bizarre to me that if there's things that we can do within our power, like what would be the downside and why wouldn't we implement them? And I, I guess what it really comes down to is are teachers frightened? Um, you know, I think some are and some aren't. I mean, last night I was at a rally um, in Santa Ana and, you know, there was one teacher, a special needs teacher, clearly in his 60s, that is probably in a high risk class. And he said, he's not frightened, you know? So some are, and I firmly believe teachers who are truly frightened and don't want to come back to the class should not, you know, or again, they should have heavy, I think keeping the teacher at a great distance in a classroom, whatever protective gear is necessary, absolutely. You know, again, I'm, I'm just a believer in it's, it's up to the individual. And if children and parents are more comfortable with children wearing face masks and they think that they can monitor that, you know, some kindergarten teachers will say, I can barely get them to sit still. How am I going to keep the face mask on? And then you have the, I need a drink of water. I'm taking it off. Are my hands clean when I'm doing it? I just think for me, I feel it's a cleaner process to really work on the sanitation and the hand cleaning as opposed to the masking, but I'm not saying masks are bad. I, I'm saying it's really up to the family. If you feel more comfortable with masking your child for whatever reason, because you've got a high risk grandparent in the house or just because you feel they're effective. I mean, there's there's so much controversy on masks. Again, I think that's up to the individual. But, but there's actually not that much controversy on masks, like when it comes to science. And I don't understand, I guess, going back to my question, how do you leave it up to the individual? Because there's no way that we're gonna be effective if we're not all doing the same thing as a community. And I guess both as a parent and as a citizen, I'm concerned that somehow this has become like a you versus me conversation instead of we as a nation, like when we're all in this together. So like if each family is doing something different, how could that possibly be effective? And like in many schools, like uniforms aren't a choice, like peanut butter sandwiches because the food allergies aren't a choice. So like why would something that affects the public health of others in such a severe way 
be left kind of to be decided on an individual basis. That just is kind of mind blowing to me respectfully. Yeah, I, you know, and, and that's really not my piece of it, you know, as far as determining that. It's, it's really not up to me. What is this lawsuit between the board and the Department of Education? It's actually against the governor and the public and the public health of, uh, officer. Yeah, officials. I mean, there's so many mixed messages out here. This morning, it turns out that New York is the only major school district that is the, saying they're not going completely online. It, it does, and like Stephen's frustration is clear, your head wants to blow open. So what is this lawsuit? Well, and I really can't speak to the lawsuit when we when we put- But what's the basis of it? The basis is that, again, we, we are, as a county board, we are suing the governor to reopen schools. And much more than that, you really have to talk to our attorneys because of right. the litigation, I, I really can't talk about it. And that's something that actually came up after we, we decided on this podcast, but I really haven't spoken to that at all. If you want to speak to our attorney, we, we've got PR people there that are happy to chat more, but I, I really don't want to speak on that. Which is fine. I was just curious. I was just curious what the basis of it was. I mean, you are in a terribly unenviable position. I want to talk to Sarah for a sec because we're all talking grade school, high school, junior high, high school. I want to talk about high school. How is this affecting admissions? Because now suddenly everybody's waiving the ACT and the SAT. Is this going to completely change how people, kids are admitted to schools? It could have a huge impact moving forward. So college admissions will never be the same. The most, uh, the biggest change, as you mentioned, Melissa, is that the majority of colleges across the country have dropped their SAT or ACT requirement for this coming admission cycle. Some colleges have made a point to say that they will continue to be test optional beyond the year, but most of the colleges are only going to do it for this coming year. And so that means that everything else in the student's application will weigh more. A lot of families are reaching out to me to say, is it true that they're, they're not going to disadvantage my child if they don't submit test scores? It's true that students are not going to be disadvantaged if they don't submit SAT or ACT scores. But I think what a lot of the public is missing is the fact that the most competitive students who don't apply with test scores are going to be those students with really strong, flawless or near flawless transcripts, meaning, you know, almost a straight A average taking the most challenging classes from ninth grade on. And so those are the students who are not going to be disadvantaged in any way. Um, but the student who was relying on that SAT or ACT to actually strengthen their overall application, they're really worried because let's say they are a BC student, but they are a naturally strong test taker. I have students who have literally been registered for the March SAT, the June SAT, the August SAT, the ACT multiple times. And every single time it's been canceled on that. So you can imagine their psyche where they're literally preparing for the biggest test of their life three, four times in a row. And then in some cases, the college board who oversees the SAT or the ACT isn't even notifying them that the test is canceled. So they show up on test date hoping to take this test that's going to strengthen their application and they find out that the test is canceled. How are state schools, and you have worked in on the other side, you have worked in admissions. How are state schools that literally use those scores as a cutoff going to s siphon through all these applications? It completely changes 
the dynamic, even like in the UC system, like you have to have this particular ACT or SAT to even be considered. How, how, I mean, what is, how is that going to work? So most of the selective colleges handle uh, applications through a holistic admissions process, which means they factor in a lot of things. The test scores, if they're available, the transcript, extracurriculars, recommendation letters, essays, sometimes an interview. But those state institutions, as you mentioned, Melissa, a lot of times it's kind of just a, a, a formula. You know, you have to reach a certain SAT score or ACT score, you have to have a certain GPA. Interestingly, some of those state schools may not be as competitive as my former employer, like the University of Pennsylvania, but they have not gone test optional. A lot of these state schools, um, our babysitter texted me the other day. She's hoping, she was helping out a friend who was trying to um, apply to Shippensburg, which is a state institution in, in Pennsylvania, for example. And you would think they would be test optional. I looked it up. They are not. So you can see with some of those colleges that have a very objective admissions process, they're afraid to go test optional. And in fact, a lot of the merit scholarships have not gone test optional. But then where, how do you, I mean, I have a friend whose son has tried to log on a number of times to take the test online, which is still a possibility and they can't get on or they're like, sorry, no tests available. It, what, how do you guide your, I mean, this is one of the most stressful times for seniors. How do you guide them through it? I mean, I think the UC system, I could be wrong, has gone test, uh, test, it test free. So I don't know how these schools are going to figure it out. But even my friends who have kids who are trying to take it online are, it's unavailable. Yeah. So ever to in May, the AP exams were available for the first time online. It was a mess. There were kids who had who had completed the test and they were going to submit and they couldn't they couldn't submit it properly. There were so many issues, and then the the online issues continued to happen throughout the summer for registration as well. What's happening is the public is losing trust in these testing organizations and the colleges are as well. So you the UC system when they announced that they were going test optional, this is back in spring. It was huge because they are getting tens, hundreds of thousands of applications every single year. So the UCs are going to go test optional for the next two years. Then they're going to go test blind for the next two years after that. For what California. does that mean? That means that no scores are going to be submitted or evaluated for any California resident applying to the UCs. And then after that, they are hoping to create their own standardized tests. But I think what we're beginning to see is standardized tests are not going to play a, as big of a role as they have moving forward. But it means that- Which a lot of people believe in is better. But again, just to go back, for example, to the UC system. So then how do they sort it out? It's going to be, they're going to have to spend a lot more time reviewing an application. That's what it's going to come down to. Right now, the UCs don't require recommendation letters at all. So that means that the four, they call them personal insight questions, students have to write their like four short essays for the UCs. That means that's going to factor in much more. The transcript is going to factor in much more and activities, extracurriculars, impact, leadership is going to matter a whole lot more. Are they going to be hiring a ton more staff because they don't have the, the ability to say, okay, all of these that are below, out? No, and, and that's been, that I've been really vocal about that over the years because when I worked at Penn, I had about 20 to 25 minutes to read an application. 
Now in 2020, Penn admissions officers are required to read an application in four minutes. That is the result of an enormous applicant pool. It's double, triple, quadruple since I started working there in the 1990s. But also, they haven't increased their staff at all. And so I remember becoming a dean of admissions and asking the president, you know, can I add another admissions officer to my staff? And he literally laughed in my face. He said, you have to plan 10 years to add a staff member to your office. So get ready. If you're going to be here for 10 years, you might get that staff member um, then, but not now. So, and especially with this economy, I think we're going to see budget cuts on the secondary school level. Um, that's going to affect Mary's community and my kids as well. But we're going to see budget cuts really impact those colleges. We're hearing already about colleges being in, you know, very dire straits. Not only some of those small, tiny little colleges maybe we haven't heard of, but the big places too. I mean, it's just, it's a shit show. I've heard about a lot of uh, students choosing now to take gap years. I've also have a number of Cooper's friends who are freshmen who are, who are planning to take a gap year this year. Cause a lot of schools are going to like one group goes virtual first semester. Another group goes virtual second semester. And on a personal level, thank God Cooper's already knows what he's doing. Uh, Cause he was already a freshman, but one of the big topics, um, and this actually comes back to you, Mary as well is recruiting. And a lot of student athletes have worked their whole lives and depend on that money that they would get to go to a lot of these universities. So I know there's been a whole bunch of discussion, like they're trying to do it over tape, just tape, but some kids don't show well on tape and you need to see them play in person. And they've been doing a lot of virtual games and streaming. It's a nightmare. So I guess, Mary, back to you, where so many kids depend on athletics for scholarships we haven't even talked about what is going on in, in, in that section of schools. I mean, almost all the public schools and the private schools have done a, 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 a wash on fall sports. Most colleges have done a wash on fall sports. How are you supporting any of these kids that need that money to go to school, whether they be uh, based on uh, academic scholarships or athletic scholarships? Yeah, I don't know what the plan is right now. I mean, as long as school is virtual, I, I don't think any of that will go on. If, if there's a reopening at some time in the near future, I think we can see more of that again. And I understand for that short time that school summer training and athletics was open, that they were really doing a great job. They were social distancing. They were masked. They were doing everything they needed to do. And there was a huge disappointment among many teenagers in the county when that got shut down almost in a day. So that, that's a huge, you know, to me, one of the saddest things too is for seniors last year who didn't realize on Thursday they played the last football game of their career or went to their last dance. You know, for, for a lot of people, it was, it was quite sad. You know, but again, my whole thing goes back to the money. Right, it's, it's all about the money. Mary, do you find that with parents that are wanting more of a choice to have their children in school, do you find that parents are opting more to go to charter schools or private schools that may not necessarily be strictly governed by, you know, the Department of Education in some way or some form. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think that some parents, you know, they, they go to private school because they feel that they have more control for many reasons. But as of yesterday, really private schools are shut down as well. So, and as far as charters, most, 
are public. They're public free schools. And so they fall under either the district if they're chartered there or under the county. We have about 17 charters under the county. So they really fall, they have a little bit more flexibility in some areas. Um, so some parents will go to a particular charter maybe because it focuses on arts or music or engineering or languages. And that might be why they pick a charter or because the school right in their own neighborhood isn't doing a great job. And so they can travel a couple miles more and go to a charter that has better numbers and a better rate of getting into colleges. Um, so I think parents, you know, and a lot of parents don't have choices. They don't have a choice to go to private school. So that's not even an option. And that's why I feel charters are so important because it gives our most vulnerable children more options, especially in areas that have failed them historically in, in lower income areas in the Santa Ana's and Anaheim's where there haven't been great schools and we've got some great charters near there. It provides some options. And these kids, in some cases, they have almost 100% college acceptance rate coming out of these charters. Wait, like speaking of Santa Ana and Anaheim, like one of the things that I'm curious about is that most of the largest school districts in OC spoke out against the OC Board of Education's findings and said that they wouldn't return to school without masks and social distancing. And even a lot of the experts on that 11 person panel said they weren't properly consulted on the board's recommendations. So I guess I'm curious if it feels like most of the major school districts in OC aren't with you, like who are you guys actually representing them in that case? Like even in that CNN article, when they contact everybody, uh, almost all the school districts said that they actually felt strongly against your finding. And that's fine. And they can. We just provided an option. I know there's a school in Nevada County that used our findings and they voted three to two to open with, you know, reopening the school. So it's up to the district. If the district doesn't like our findings, they don't have to use them. But isn't it a problem if almost all of the districts are against your findings? It seems like someone doesn't have their finger on the pulse of the people, I guess, is like what I'm getting at. Because like you're these positions to represent the community. But if the community and all the school districts aren't with you, then it seems like there's definitely a disconnect. Like, I guess one of the things I'm confused about is what would make sense to me is that I think everyone wants to go back to school. Who doesn't want their kids to go back to school and have access to socialization and services? But it's how do we do so safely and put safety protocols in place? So why wouldn't it be like go back to school with masks and with safety protocols? And if you don't want to send your kid with a mask, then you can choose to learn remotely. Like that would make sense to me. Well, and also uh, uh, to follow up on that, how much of the decisions, and I'm not saying, we're not trying to, like, you're you're speaking for the district. This isn't about you, your feelings personally. How much of this is due to losing funding? Because we've all been reading about how if you don't open, you don't get your money. I mean, it, 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 I feel like all the schools have been put in a terrible situation, as well as the parents, as well as the teachers. So... You know, what, What? you know, again, New York and, and is the only one that has said they're even opening at this point. Yeah, and I think some other countries have had some success in opening. And like you say, the white paper really wasn't whether to tell people to open or not to open. It was just to give them a tool. We don't have jurisdiction over the districts. The districts don't look to us to say, what did the county tell us to do? We are an appeals board. That is the major thing that the county board does is they act as an appeals board. That's for charter schools, for interdistrict transfers, for expulsions, and we oversee a $250 million budget. However, we find even things that we don't oversee our constituents in the community come to us for leadership. So 
in May, I discovered that our county superintendent was holding these closed door meetings on how to reopen schools. And when I found that out, I said, Dr. Maharis, can the trustees sit in on the meetings to find out what's going on? And he said, absolutely not. And I said, really? And I actually asked him in public, you can listen to the tape three times. I said, you know, honestly, my constituents find it hard to believe that meetings are going on at the Department of the Education that doesn't allow the trustees in. They don't even believe it. I said, so maybe we'll just hold our own transparent meeting. And that was the reason for the meeting. We put together the meeting. The, the experts came from all different fields. We as trustees asked them questions. We had members of the public who came and presented information. And then after that, we had the California Policy Center do the original draft of the white paper and then Ken edited it, who he's now the president. At the time I was the president, he was a VP, we've now switched roles. Because of his medical background, he edited it. The one thing that would have been nice that he really didn't say as cleanly as he should have was, even though all the experts came and presented information, they did not sign off on the white paper. The white paper was based on the discussions of the evening. And from the discussions that transpired that evening, we put together the white paper. We at no point asked anyone on that panel of, I believe it was 11, to actually sign off. And like I say, it's just a tool. It's a, it's a bunch of information. Do with it what you please as a district, as a parent. I've had, I've been interviewed on several shows and they said, well, what's the purpose? I said, well, parents can take the white paper. We, it's on our website and they can take it to their trustees and say, have you considered some of this information? It's just really an informational tool. It's really not designed to tell or coerce or suggest anybody to do anything. I firmly believe again, that parents are in the best position to make decisions for their family with the guidance of the individual districts. The districts should be deciding what's best for their individual district, and then the parents should choose from the options that the district offers. Was the superintendent invited to that forum? He absolutely was invited. We Nobody was kept out of that forum. It was open to everyone. Due to social distancing, I think we're about you know, hundreds of people actually via YouTube, they couldn't come in the room because with the social distancing, we could only let about 25 members of the general public in addition to all of our experts. Did you stream it? Uh, you know, I'm not sure that they streamed it, but they, it was on YouTube and every meeting is recorded. So you can listen to every word of any meetings. They did stream it, Melissa, but only so many people could get in before it maxed out. I guess philosophically, like what I'm struggling with is that it's like when you look at us as a country, right? Not even on a school level. It's like other generations were called to war. Like we have healthcare workers risking their lives to save the lives of others. And all we are being asked to do as a society is like wear a mask and wash your hands. Maybe stay home and watch Netflix. It's like, what is so hard about that that all of us just can't get it together? And, and you know, when we have the worst outbreak in the entire world and when like the OC Board of Education's recommendations came at a time last month where OC had the second worst outbreak in the state. It's just crazy to me. Like, why can't we all come together and do the same thing? Otherwise, it just feels like we're never going to be effective. And like, what are we teaching our kids too? that want to be doctors and scientists? Like, oh, go to schools just so we can grow up and ignore you. It's just, it's just wild to me. And I think in the end, as much as we can talk about our kids going back to school, and I've got three of them, 14, 10, and 7, it would be lovely to have them back at school. But the reality is things are changing so quickly. We have colleges as well. You know, they unveiled this incredible plan to get more students to deposit and, and attend their college or university. And now we're hearing all these colleges 
the majority of them backpedaling to some degree saying, well, we're not going to OVA completely or Smith College, for example, just announced like an hour before we got on to say that they are not going to open up campus at all and all classes will be virtual. So I mean, as, a, as, as a parent, believe me, this has been a big discussion that they waited till after we all sent our deposits absolutely. to start making these announcements, yeah. which was all really shitty. I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine being a parent and spending like 80 grand right now right. to kid learn remotely. Like it's bad enough with those of us in elementary and private schools are paying, you know, let alone, I mean, I can't even imagine it'd be mind blowing to me to college. And, you know, I, I fear for the next generation that are being raised probably by day drinkers. That are <laughs> you mean and following I, I mean, mommy and daddy's lead? So I wanted to confront their teachers and be like, you totally lied to me when you said my kid was a joy to have in class. This has not been <laughs> and this has not been pleasant and I haven't enjoyed one moment. But you know what? I, I have to say, listen, at the at the end of the day, it causes all of us to rethink everything going forward, whether it's you know, the options to be in class, out of class, wear a mask, not a mask. I think individually, we all have to decide how to protect ourselves. And we would hope that we all can come together and find a medium ground. But it seems like more than ever before, we're just at different ends, you know, of the boxing ring, if you will. Oh, and Sabrina, we do... you're so funny thinking we could all eventually come together. Well, we, you're you know so what? sweet. If, but if we don't, then we're going to constantly, we're not going to gain any ground. We're just not. But that's, that's exactly what's going on. That's why we have the worst outbreak in the entire world, because it's literally the wild, wild west. And if different states and different counties and different cities and different districts like aren't doing the same thing, like you wouldn't have a smoking section on an airplane. But like that's what we're doing, which makes no sense in light of, you know, we're operating too in a global economy. Like I really feel like some people left their common sense back in 2019. Mary, what is your plan should you have someone, what is the testing protocol at this point for going to school and what happens when someone tests positive? Are you guys contact tracing? You know, again, at the county, we don't make those decisions, but um, I, I certainly think, you know, there's some basic things they have to do. They have to take temperatures of kids coming to school. You know, I, I think that's a must. A lot of places you go now, whether it's into an office building, they do it into a gym or whatever. But I think that's basic. I think hygiene, you know, of course, school's going to be more expensive, just keeping those classrooms really, really clean. Um, as far as um, the contact tracing, that's totally out of my league. That's left, somebody else has to answer that. That's that's not a question for me. So the board doesn't have pro any protocols that they want to enforce or that they're going to force schools to follow? You no, know, it's not within our purview to do that. So the district, that would be- a By the way, how frustrating is that? You know, it's frustrating to some degree because people don't realize that and they, they write to you, why aren't you doing this or why are you doing this? And, you know, I tell them, I, I, it's just not my purview. My purview is really, um, I mean, my passion is school choice and that's where I can make a difference. If you live in Beverly Hills, but you like the school be better in Century City, your district wants to keep you in Beverly Hills because they want to hold that money. If you're going to come to the board because your district says, no way, I'm not letting you out. I'm going to say, of course, because you know what, what your son, where he'll be most successful. And I'm going to say, I want you to be at the school that's best suited. It's just like if I move here and McDonald's is my closest restaurant, do I have to eat there even if I don't like the food or the service? 
No. And, and so that's my passion. And I just believe that parents make the best decisions, whether it's interdistrict transfers or being allowed to go to a public charter school. And I believe we need more in um, California. We have over 150,000 kids waiting to get into public charter schools. So there's obviously a shortage. So my passion and why I went on the board was to help parents with choice. And my kids had choice. And that's because we were lucky enough to move to a decent school district. We were lucky enough when my daughter didn't want to go to the local high school because it was too big for her quiet, shy personality. We could afford to send her to private. But there's many children in Orange County that don't have those choices. And so that's my passion where I can help and provide information. I'm, I'm happy to be a leader in that sense. Um, with a budget, I, I feel that's another responsibility where we can do some, some things there. But as far as telling people how to come to school and tracing and all that. It's, it's not within my jurisdiction or my knowledge base. Stephen, are you finding the resources that you need in your unique situation? Uh, look, I think the hard thing for parents right now is that it's almost like there are no good choices. Like you're just, you know, making educated guesses based on information and lesser evils. And it's like, we all kind of want to keep things as normal as possible. But like, let's be honest, we passed normal on the freeway like five exits ago. Mm -hmm. Now we're just like full speed ahead towards crazy town. I think that, look, I think our school and most schools were really struggling in the spring in particular, being thrown off the deep end with no notice, uh, doing the best they could. And I don't feel in those situations, us as parents were really being given all the tools that we could, but I was sympathetic that they literally had no planning time. And you know, I don't think there was a shock when all of that research came out that the remote learning wasn't effective. It's like, well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Like that was fucking terrible. But I hope that now that they had a little bit more, you know, runway over the summer, I'm cautiously optimistic and even like really impressed by in the event we have to go remote, like what my school sent out, knowing that we've had more time to prepare. So I'm hoping that like in the fall, it'll be a different experience. I mean, you know, that's kind of how I'm feeling. I guess going back to Mary, what I'm still confused about and just feeling a bit unanswered is that what would be the downside in terms of like, you know, good versus bad if we just required a little bit more social distancing and masks sending the kids back? And like, was there a conversation internally within your group when all the school districts kind of came out and spoke out against you that like, hey, maybe we got some things wrong. Maybe we made some missteps. Like maybe our fingers aren't on the pulse of the constituents. Because it definitely feels like there's a disconnect. You know, I feel like it's really, um, like you say, divided. There's some people that absolutely believe that kids should go to school with masks on and, and social distancing and doing all that. At least from a certain age. Like you said, preschoolers, it's a, it's a going to be, you can't. Like no one's arguing for a four or five-year-old. And even the governor said, I believe, masks from third grade and up. And I think that's much more... Um, for that. So I, I think there's people are very really in their opinions about the whole deal. Um, but knowing that people's lives are like actually at risk, like everyone's entitled to their opinion, but like someone's rights don't supersede other people's rights. So I guess from like a risk analysis standpoint, like on one hand, you have not wearing masks where people might actually die. And on the other hand, you have wearing masks. So like, what would be the downside to just being responsible and requiring everyone over a certain age to wearing face coverings. I think what you're saying is err on the side of caution. Yeah, like it just seems to me there's no downside to wearing masks. So I guess I'm curious to what the downside would be. If, 
if the science were exact, I would absolutely agree. And I'm not saying where the science is, but I think there's science on both sides. And, you know, when I look back to the flu season every year, we lose a lot more children and people and we've, we've never masked for that. So but that's actually not true that we lose more people to the flu. Like coronavirus has already killed more than five times the amount of people in this country than the flu last year. So I feel like people are entitled to their own opinion, but they're not entitled to their own facts. Have you been living in our country the last couple of years, Stephen? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious, <laughs> asking if people are entitled to their own facts. Well, like that's, it's just- I'm joking. You even compare this to the flu. Like this is nothing like the flu. The flu doesn't- No, I agree with you. Heart damage. The flu doesn't cause lingering lung damage. Like this is not, it's just, I think we have to steer away from any comparisons to the flu because I think it's dangerous in putting misinformation out there and especially for a public figure respectfully. Well, I think though the biggest difference is that COVID seems to spare the children where the flu does not. The flu is very harmful to children where, where COVID has not. Proven yeah, that I agree with. But the children don't live alone on an island or in a bubble. So they go home to their families. They do. Something really good though, positive, lots of good things coming out of this for the older kids. I'll just chime in. We are gonna see smaller applicant pools for these colleges, which means higher acceptance rates for those students moving forward. And that's a really good thing. So none of these crazy low acceptance rates, like four and 5% at these elite institutions, we're gonna to start to see those acceptance rates increase, not only because it's a smaller applicant pool, because these colleges are so nervous, just like every school's nervous. They don't know how many students are gonna ultimately enroll in the fall every single year. So that's- I, Before we jump back to Stephen's question, I have a couple more questions that basically apply to me. In my situation, so there for there for Sarah. What about uh, kids that want to transfer? A lot of people transfer as juniors for whatever reason, either because they want it, they've sort of figured out what they want to do and that kind of stuff. Um, I know Cooper took a summer school class, and we had a bitch of a time getting it approved by his college. Are they going to have to lighten up on classes that they're going to accept? I know Penn is one of the hardest schools to get to accept any classes from any other university. Is this going to change? They're going to have to, or they're not going to have class sizes the way that they used to. You're right. And a lot of highly selected colleges, they're really tough on giving students credit for AP credit or taking a college class at community college. Why? Or taking, going to, or going two years to somewhere else. Because they want that money for themselves. They want students not to have any AP credit because they want them there for all four years. Not only tuition, but room and board as well. These colleges and universities run like businesses. And for the first time, there is a breaking point. So, you know, 10 years ago, while the tuition was, you know, outpacing the rate of inflation, all parents were going, what's going on? There has to be a breaking point. There's no breaking point. Now is the time. You know, Stephen said, you know, college is $80,000 a year. In some cases, it's cheap as it is. Can you imagine sending your kid $80,000, but they're not even, we're not sending them off. They're staying at home, taking online classes, not participating in that college experience that I think we've all had and enjoyed. So it's a, a lot, a lot of Cooper's friends are actually, or their parents are opting for a year of community college. And again, how do you navigate that to make sure the credits that you're taking will be accepted so suddenly you're not still a freshman? 
Yeah, you need to have some inside knowledge from the admissions office that you want to transfer into, but you're right, Melissa, you don't want to waste those classes. With transfer admissions, and we used to see this even at Penn, we admitted students from a community college, but they would have to do exceptionally well. So I would say any student who is, you know, going to stay local, do the community college, do the local university, and then try to transfer, the most important part of the transfer admissions application is going to be the college classes that they took and the grades that they got. Sarah brings up a really important point too about like the college experience because if you think about it like are any of us really using our algebra or our Greek philosophy like I'm not using it in Hollywood and even a lot of the CEOs of like the major tech companies have said you know they're dropping their college requirements and you know take that money you would have spent towards college and that four or five hundred thousand dollars and start a business or whatever but for me when I think about even sending my kids to college someday it's not so much about the education it really is also about that kind of transitional phase in their life between adolescence and adulthood and kind of gently nudging them out of the nest. And really it's about like the emotional intelligence and the social development that they gain and the social benefit, not just about the degree that they're going to walk away with. And it is heartbreaking that, you know, they're being deprived of that. And there really are no good solutions at the moment. It just kind of sucks all around for everybody. Yeah, it's the, it's the experience that you want your child to have. I mean, Cooper School is doing a hybrid situation, but, you know, they're all talking about, are they even going to make it through the first semester? We'll have to see. Steven, last question is for you. What is your plan? I mean, we're approaching time to go back to school. What have you and the wife decided? So it's interesting because our school sent something out that we had to sign if we wanted to opt into like 100% online learning, and we chose not to sign that because I feel like at any time we could still transition online. I don't feel like they'll be able to tell us no. I'm waiting to see what happens closer to mid to late August with you know, the stats in Orange County and with the governor and, and with the school districts. But my hope is that common sense will prevail and that if the kids are able to go back to school, they'll be taking like all the proper precautions because to me, there's no downside in, in protecting the kids and protecting the families and protecting the teachers. You know. So I'm hoping that in our school, common sense will prevail and that, you know, there'll be social distancing, there'll be mask requirements for kids over a certain age, there'll be temperature checking and sanitation. And, and for me, if we aren't teaching our kids to be considerate of others, to be a good neighbor, to be a good citizen, your actions and choices have consequences, then I think as a parent, I also have to look at the, at the philosophical issue that like maybe my kids are at the wrong school. So in other words, you haven't made any concrete decision yet? No, because we're still in a holding pattern until they go back on the 18th. We're still, you know, as of now, they have no choice but to be online. But in the event that things change, I think for me, it's about like, what are they doing as a community to protect our kids? And, and for me, it's not even my kids and my family I'm worried about. It's your family and Sabrina's family and Mary's family and Sarah's family, like, I just feel like we should all be doing our part to be considerate and err on the side of caution. And I guess that's really my frustration with what's going on now in OC. It feels like we're not doing that. It feels like, um, you know, certain leaders are like out of touch with, with, with really the districts in the community. You know what? I want to thank everybody so much. This is such a big topic right now. Everyone has so much to say and so much to add. 
Mary, thank you so much. It's it's actually been a pleasure talking to you, and you are very much in an unenviable position. I think, yes. I think we understand that. Um, Sarah, I'm going to be calling you offline going, does he, you know, even though he's a freshman or even finished his freshman year, does he take a gap year? I mean, every school is putting out Harvard's going completely virtual. Yale's doing split year. It's it's Everyone's heads want to explode. Steven, I love you. I love you too, Melissa. Thank we're gonna you just we're just gonna keep having you on for topics that we want your opinion on, which are are, are many, many, many. Um, this has been fantastic. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, guys. It's been great. Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye.